Hello friends, happy Monday. I hope you are well, I hope you are rested, I hope your year is off to a beautiful start. Today I am really excited to share this conversation that I had with my friend Alicia Knox. Alicia was my level one basic instructor and because of that, because she was the person to kind of introduce me to this way of thinking about music education, I speak about Alicia in the same way that a kindergartner would speak with enthusiasm about their kindergarten teacher. She was really the person to open this door and kind of plant this seed for me. So I'm very grateful and she has a lot of wisdom to share here about getting started with percussion instruments. One of the things that I appreciate about Alicia the most is that she is very interested in setting the tone for the activity more than she is interested in talking about the activity steps themselves. She spends a lot of time establishing the context in which these activities are taking place. That way, once that context is established, the activity is just going to soar. And if it flops, (laughs) then we have the steps that we need to try again next time. So I appreciate that she creates the tone of the learning environment over then just a, a list of steps to follow. One of the other really valuable parts of the conversation to me was hearing Alicia talk about the artistry and imagination that takes place before students even have instruments in their hands. And that way, the instruments are really an extension of the process. They are not the process all on their own. Alicia is someone who brings breathability into music education. She's someone who brought breathability into my teaching, and I'm very grateful for that. And I know that you guys are going to love this conversation with her as much as I did. If you would like to write Alicia a thank you note or a a quick note about something that you appreciated in this conversation, I know that she would appreciate it, and I definitely know that she deserves it. Um, It only takes a quick moment to send someone a thank you message, but that will make their whole entire day. So you can find her bio, you can find her contact information, uh, all those things in the show notes, along with some references to the things that she talks about in this episode throughout the conversation. On a different note, this conversation ties in with a few other podcast episodes that you might be interested in, in addition to the resources that Alicia gives, and in addition to just contacting Alicia. Episode five was, what are some ways to efficiently efficiently pass out classroom instruments? Episode eight is teaching a part work piece on barred instruments. Episode 34 is strategies for sharing instruments. Episode nine is, how should I use percussion instruments as a vocalist? And I'm also going to add in a video link to some bard instrument exploration I did with a book called It Fell From the Sky. Okay, with all of that out of the way, I am um, really excited to hear your thoughts about this conversation with Alicia Knox on using percussion instruments in elementary general music. Alicia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too, Victoria. Can you start off by just telling me, uh, give me an update on your life. Tell me about where you are teaching and what that situation is like. Sure. So I just started a new position this year. I am now teaching at uh, St. Patrick's Episcopal Day School in Washington, D.C. And currently I am doing 6th, 7th, and 8th grade music cl- general music classes 
along with uh, team teaching their choir program. Oh, wow. Okay, so currently your background is in elementary music and you've done that for like years and years and years. 20 years, yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. but now you've made the jump to secondary. You're in middle school. Mm -hmm. We're trying something new. We're expanding my my repertoire, my experiences. Yeah, and it's definitely a a new challenge. It's it's definitely pushing me into new, to create new things, to explore new ideas, which is really exciting for me at this point in my career. You know, I, I have been doing both early childhood as well as elementary school for a long time. And yeah, I was excited for this opportunity. It is a nursery through eight school. And so there are opportunities to, uh, you know, still work with, with younger students. But, um, right now I'm going to be focusing, um, for a couple of years on just the middle schoolers. So that is, that is really, really interesting. I didn't realize that you had made such a big jump. Um, we, we definitely need to talk about, percussion stuff, but very quickly, if someone wants to know, how do I get middle schoolers to do anything in general music class? Very, just very briefly, let's, let's camp out here because I think, you know, we don't get to pick where our students begin pitched and unpitched percussion, right? So I see it tying into the conversation, but tell me a little bit, how do you get them to do anything at all? That is a great question and a question that I am continuing to explore. So, uh, luckily, um, the position where I'm at, the, the students come to me with an amazing background. There are two other extraordinary orchestral work teachers at this school. So they, since nursery school, have had amazing beautiful, artful experiences in music class, both with singing and with playing instruments. So really, they come to me very prepared, um, understanding of a lot of things that I would want them to do in music class already. So so I want to say that I, I am in a very privileged place with middle schoolers. Um, but yeah, I have found already that it's really, it's about meeting them where they are and figuring out kind of what their interests are. And for me, I'm also just trying to acknowledge that everyone in the room has different interests. And for general music class, we're going to do lots of different things. I mean, I did the same thing with my elementary school classes because, you know, not every child loves every single thing we do. You know, there's some kids that all they want to do is sing. Some kids that all they want to do is play the drums. Some kids, all they want to do is, you know, and, and in middle school now we, we're expanding into playing guitars and play, you know, playing a little bit, um, an alto recorder, you know, we can do some more complex instruments. Yeah. Um, and I think those opportunities really hook in the kids because it's something new that they've never explored before. Um, but yeah, I just try to encourage them that, you know, even if they're unsure about it, if they don't feel confident right away, it's about trying it out to see if it's something that mm. connects with them mm-hmm. rather than trying to, you know, I, I, I'm very upfront about like my expectation is not that you become, you know, the the best whatever it is, guitar player or recorder player or singer or or drummer. Like it's it's about trying it out, stretching yourself, you know, having a new experience, being creative where we can, working with each other. That's the other thing I found middle schoolers love to do 
work with each other. Oh yeah. So so as many opportunities, even even just when we're preparing things like, you know, letting them talk to each other first before we have a class conversation, you know, anytime that they get to connect with their peers, they're going to be more engaged uh, with what we're doing. Yeah, I think there's there's so much to yes and from what you say. I think about like just a very simple um, make a steady beat with body percussion. Mm-hmm. With middle school, it is turn to the three people around you and create a study. And because if you don't say turn to the three people around you and do it, they're going to turn to those three people anyway. Right. So (laughs) and it's a way for them to feel safe because really, you know, so much about middle school is, is, is anxiety and social, you know, Mm -hmm. like figuring out their place in the social structure and, and how that and where they feel safe and how they feel safe. And so again, like you said, even doing something really simple, if it's, if it's, uh, at any point creative or them taking a risk, they need that peer connection Mm. to make them feel safe within that creative space. That's so wise, Alicia. That's brilliant. I love it. A lot of what you're talking about, we can circle back to this idea. I heard you say things like, um, not everyone wants to sing and some people only want to sing and some people will want to play guitar and some people will try guitar, you know, and some people will, you know, try recorder and it's not their thing. So a lot of what you're talking about with engagement actually has to do with this idea of using multiple media, which is something that is, you know, so central to what you do. And it's central to the Schulwerk. So can you talk, that's a nice tie-in. Can you talk about how you came to the Schulwerk at all? Oh, sure. Um, so, (laughs) all right, let me think back. So this was, um, really right away when I was, um, in undergrad, uh, I was lucky enough to, to have a program where we did explore kind of all of the you know, main approaches, the mainstream approaches to music education. And that was, so we did a little bit of Orschel work work. We did a little bit of Kodai. We did a little bit of Dalkers and kind of studied these. Um, but it wasn't until I was doing some of my, well, both, both my practicum, um, like when I would go in and watch another teacher teach in a, in a school, those kinds of things. Um, but then also my very first year as a, as a teacher, I had a mentor teacher who was an Orpshul work teacher and I would go, you know, once a month to her classroom and watch her teach. And it was very much it just watching her. It made sense to me what she was doing. I could see the process and I was like, yes, this feels like the way I would want to teach. And again, I had no idea what I was doing because I was a first year teacher, but for, for whatever reason, I would, I would just, it just clicked with me. I was like, yes, that, that makes sense. And then I would, you know, go back to my own classroom and try things out. And then again, I was lucky that I started my master's degree and had a professor who was very much like kind of pushing orchestral work training. And so I did, um, I think my first two levels as like electives as part of my graduate program. And immediately, like as soon as I was into um, actually even the first or- workshop that I ever went to as, you know, like a first year teacher, it was just the moment of like my eyes were wide and I was like, yes, this is the thing. This is the thing. Like I, and so again, I feel really lucky that I came to it pretty much right away out of the gate in my, in my teaching career. So, you know, I, I did my levels training. I want to say I, 
after a, two years maybe in the class or so. So I was very, very new. Um, so really my whole career, I've been kind of practicing and teaching in this way. It's kind of the only way I've ever known how to teach. Um, so it's, it's really informed everything about the kind of teacher that I am, um, from very, very early on. And then it, again, continued my training. You know, clearly I did all of my levels. I did master classes. It was like, I couldn't get enough learning and I still, you know, I yesterday actually we had our um, Mid Atlantic Orf chapter uh, workshop yesterday. I still go to these workshops because I I love watching other really really artful thoughtful um, teachers and what they have to say and what they you know have to present. I still love learning and watching Orf Schulberg teachers. Oh, for sure, yeah, and that's what that's what you were saying at the very beginning. Like you learned what Orf Schulberg was by seeing it in action. And when you see it, then you're like, oh, I get it, right? Like it's never, it's never meant to be an abstract lecture, right? It's supposed to be, and, and again, like going back to this idea of things that are elementals, things that you like, you can physically touch, you can hear them, you can see them, right? And that's, and that's part of the magic, Alicia, of what you do is you take um, very abstract things. You take things that are high up in the sky, uh, very abstract, magical things, and you make them tactile. And, and that's what is so beautiful about your level one class, you know, teaching basic pedagogy, is you take things that are so huge that we could theorize all day about, and people have theorized all day about, and you bring them down to earth and you make them tactile, but you keep the magic. And there's magic at every step of the process. So this is a good tie-in to starting with percussion instruments, because one of the things that I learned from you was that there is magic at every single step of the journey before, before we're playing, you know, anything in, you know, I don't know, a a Dorian ensemble or anything like that. Right. Like back when we're just speaking to each other, when I was in your level one class, we would do a speech piece and I would be like, wow, that was the coolest thing. Let's go home. And you're like, here's the next thing. And I was like, oh, that body percussion was the coolest thing. Wow. Let's pack it up. And you're like, here's the next thing. Right. So it just like meandered and uh, you were able to take us. And I know you take your students on just a really exciting journey. And the process is, is so fabulous to be, you know, one of your students and then to see my students light up doing your things. And then to take that as the starting point for me to do my own things, right? Like it just, um, it blossoms, it goes back up to the magic that it started at, but you had to be there to bring it down for me, you know? Well, I'm, I'm happy that you had that experience and I'm, I feel very privileged that I got to be the person that, you know, showed you that planted that seed. And I love that you used the word blossoms. That, that's, you know, the, the idea of Orschelwerk being wildflowers, yeah. or, you know, is, is a very common metaphor. And, but I think it's very apt. It's, it's, you know, and I think what you said about this training, you know, when you, when you do Orschelwerk levels training, the fact that, the experience is you sort of being the student, right? Like you said, it is not, you know, the, 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 the teacher educator up there lecturing for two weeks, you are making music just like you want your kids to make music. And I, I think that's why it's such a powerful experience is because you get to be the child. And, and again, like you said, experience, you know, what, your, your students will experience. And I think it's a much more 
just real visceral um, learning experience than just talking about it. I mean, it's, it's why I gravitated towards this. Like, yes, I could teach, you know, my students, especially when you get into older kids, we're talking middle schoolers. Yes, I could teach them about music. We could turn it into a history class. We could turn it into a theory class. And for me, that's not the most important thing I want them to to walk out of my classroom with. Yes, I could, you know, we could have so much content knowledge about music, Mm -hmm. but then like you said, where's the magic, right? The magic happens. And I mean, that's why I love music, why I love being a musician. I don't love studying music. I love making music. And I really love making music with other people. That's what lights me up. That's what like, you know, really gets me excited. And so that's what I want to bring to students as well. I want them to be musicians and Mm -hmm. feel like music is something I can do. It is something that is for me. Again, even back to what I said at the beginning, even if it's not every single thing that is for me, um, I can find my inroad. I can find the thing that really gets me excited and, and be, you know, and, and have some connection to music through that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Okay. Let's, I could, I could talk to you about this area for a million years, but I want to, I want to bring it down. Um, and I want to talk to you about pitched and unpitched percussion or tuned okay. and untuned percussion. I don't know how, I don't know your verbiage that you prefer to use. Um, because a lot of what you're saying about finding a way to make things uh, like an active part of the classroom and not just the teacher talking at students about music, but finding ways to actually music together. Um, yeah. Let's Let's start with these percussion instruments because there's a reason that they are so central to what we do in terms of being accessible and elemental. So can you just tell me uh, what these instruments are? What are we talking about when we talk about these percussion instruments? Okay, so uh, I do use the words pitched and unpitched percussion. And so um, pitched percussion is uh, percussion instruments that you can play a melody. For, For in an elementary school classroom, usually that those are barred instruments, right? They're xylophones, metallophones, glockenspiels. Um, unpitched percussion instruments are any percussion instruments that, that, that do not make a melody, right? That they, they don't have specific pitches. And so those are things like triangles, tambourines, hand drums, um, wood blocks, you know, it, it really, it, it's, it's endless. You know, I, I, there's, um, so many things. There's even people I've seen that do found sounds if you don't have any percussion. And, you know, it really mm. can, can encompass a very large scope of, of instruments. Okay, great. I heard two important things from that. I heard you say that they are not all xylophones. Mm. Yes. <laughs> interesting. That will be interesting to some parents, administrators, maybe some <laughs> teachers, right? Uh, so they're not all xylophones. What makes it a xylophone? Just we'll camp out here for a second. Yeah. So xylophones are specifically uh, where the bars are made of wood. Uh, glockenspiels are the small instruments that uh, the bars are made of metal. And then there are larger metal instruments called metallophones that are similar sized to the xylophones. Um, but the metal bars, they have almost like a, if you, if you know what a vibraphone is, it, it almost has that kind of sound. And, um, for me personally, I think that 
a mixture of all of these really gives you this love, just um, the mix of timbres um, elevates the kind of sound you get. It, it sounds really like an ensemble. Um, whereas if you only, if you only have, if you only have xylophones, that's a very different sound than if you have um, a little bit of everything as, as well as, so the, the xylophones, metallophones, they come in different sizes as well, right? So we have, um, bass xylophones or even contrabass bars, having those to add to your instrumentarium, again, even just like deepens the, the, the timbre and the, the kind of richness mm -hmm. of your ensemble. Mm -hmm. But then there's, you know, sopranos and altos, there's even soprano and alto glockenspiels. So again, not only having a mix of, um, you know, the, the wooden and the metal instruments, as well as the, the sizes for different timbres really makes a, for a rich ensemble. Yeah. Yeah. And just to yes, and that, uh, the, the different articulations that you are getting with each mallet and what each mallet is made out of and everything like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, right. Like there are, you could go so deep on this, right? There, yes. Depending on the kinds of mallets that you have, there's, you know, there's felt uh, there's felt mallets, there's yarn wrapped mallets, um, there's even, there's rubber mallets. There's, so it, it, it depends on the kinds of sound that you want. Um, yeah. So you, there's so many different things that you can get into when you talk about, about barred instruments. Yeah. And I usually, I do, when I t use the word barred instruments, mm. that kind of, that's, that's the term that I use for all of those things, xylophones, glockenspiels, metallophones, all of the different sizes there. If, if I wanted just one term, I call them barred instruments. Great. Great. I think that's very helpful just to establish like what yeah. we're actually talking about here, right? Um, okay, so let me give you a situation. Um, I have, this is a hypothetical situation. Um, I got a new teacher grant for my school and they bought me, they just went on West Music and they bought the whole variety pack from Sonar, from Studio 49, from whatever. Okay, so now I'm in a situation where I have all of these instruments and they're on the shelf. Now, what do I do? Right, well, the short answer is take level one. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know... Let me, sorry, let me I, add to that. Let me add to that. I took yeah. level one and I was oh, okay. so excited... I'm I'm changing Great. the I'm changing the story. That's as why we go. you applied for the grant, right? Yes. Okay. So I took level one, and then I had two weeks where I sat and I tried to drink out of a fire hose uh, from my yeah. teacher, right? <clears throat> and then I got back in the real world. My question remains: What should I do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Baby steps is is my advice. Okay. My advice is baby steps. Uh, you know, if if you have just come up, and I do understand how that feels. You know, I was there. I was that teacher at some point in my career where I was so on fire because I had just, you know, finished this training and I was so excited to come back. And then, yeah, sometimes it can feel intimidating of like, where do I start? Right. And so, um, I would say pick something that really resonated with you really like, you know, that, whether it was an act, a specific activity that you learned, a, a but something that really got you excited and you're like thinking, yeah, I really think that my, my students will respond to this. Mm. And then again, take it one class at a time. Okay. Remember the way that we teach in a levels course is mm. that everything is, everything is done because adults can go so fast. So like, right. We're, we're, we're working with adult musicians, uh, adult music teachers, you know, many of them with music degrees, right? Like these are, these are adult musicians. We can do 
um, what would happen in like six music classes mm-hmm. in like 20 minutes with, with grownups. And sometimes I think young teachers don't realize how slowly you go with students. And so if you're looking, you know, at the process that's written out from, um, you know, whether it's a workshop or, or, uh, or even in, you know, in a, in a book where you want to try out this lesson, one line of the process, yeah. may, maybe six to seven minutes of your music class. And that might be all you do. You know, maybe it's echo the poem by phrase. Great. Do that. And then the next class period, add the steady beat or whatever it is. Yeah. Go s- more slowly than you think that you should. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially when you're starting, because it will give you time to, to then process. I mean, I still do this where, you know, I have, especially if I'm trying something new, a, a lesson that I've, that I've never taught before, something that I've just kind of created. Um, you know, you're, you're constantly refining and, and I love being a music teacher where I, cause I, I, I've almost always had more than one section of a grade level. Right. right? So like, so, so whether it's, third grade or seventh grade, like I have two or three chances at it. Right. And if it, if something doesn't feel right or doesn't quite go the way I was envisioning, I change it and I try it with the next class in a different way. And, you know, it's not, we're, we're, we're not doing brain surgery here. It's music teaching. So if, you know, if something doesn't go right, it's not the end of the world. Just try something else, right? Just try it again in a new way. And so often that's the, like the lessons that I teach to other music teachers, you know, in, in my levels course, those are ones that I have done so many times with children. And so often it is not the lesson that I started out creating, but it, the students took it into a different path or really showed me how they wanted it to go. And then it was like, oh, oh, well, of course, this makes so much sense. So listen to your students, follow their lead and just take baby steps. Mm. Don't try to bite off everything at once. That's great. Because it take because again, to to get from echo this song or poem, whatever it is, if you you know, that's usually where we start, right? If you're starting from whether it's just a somi law song or or a poem, getting from that learning that one that first little piece to whatever you're doing on the xylophones is going to take a lot of steps in the middle. Yes, right. It's going to take a lot of time. So so just be patient with it and and yeah. Like it's baby steps. <laughs> okay, that's good. And I remember um, because I had asked you to to read through my book that's coming out, and this is one of the things that we talked about is like it has to be broken down class by class, and even the class by class is a guesstimate. It's a suggestion, right? Because what I what Victoria writes in a book, I've never met the students who are going to do these activities. Do you know what I mean? And so the the thought process from the teacher about it's this step, then this step, then this step, while keeping an open mind that it could blossom into something else. But I still, as the teacher, as the driver of the car, making the decisions, right? I still I still know uh, what all of the options are, right? So when a kid says, oh, what if we added this movement? Then in my mind, I go, I'm thinking about like all the different, you know, variations of that one student's idea so that I can say yes, and we can keep going. 
And that piece of it gets so much easier with experience. Mm. And, and unfortunately, there's no way to get that experience except just do it, yeah. right? You know, you, so if you are someone who's in your, you know, first three, four years of teaching, that feels really scary, mm-hmm. that moment of, and I remember feeling that way. I felt really scary. Like that, oh my gosh, I can't let go of my lesson plan. You know, I'm a white knuckle grip on my lesson plans because that's all I know how to do. Slowly over time, you build up this, it's just after with experience, you build up this um, ability to pivot, to um, change in a moment, to take that child's suggestion and just run with it and see what happens. And again, the, the more years of teaching you get under your belt, the more comfortable that will feel. But know that it's completely normal that if you're, if you're um, very early in your teaching career, that's going to feel scary and that's okay. But again, be brave. You know, they, it is just music class <laughs> and, and, and try it out. And if it, and if, you know, if following that child's suggestion doesn't work, guess what? That's still a teaching moment. That's still a learning moment for the class. And there are oftentimes that I know in advance as the adult musician that that's not going to work for whatever reason, uh-huh. right? Whatever. Yep. And I still let them go it. with it because that is sometimes more powerful than me saying, well, no, that won't work because of this. Let them experience it and then say, what, well, what happened? And they will be able to say, oh, well, that didn't work because, you know, this was happening here. Oh, I agree. Okay. So what should we do? You know, let them figure it out. That's where the powerful learning moments come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. An example that I can think of with that, that people could probably try Um, you know, in class tomorrow is asking students to create an ostinato and everyone makes the ostinato. Everyone has a chance to share with their partner, but then the teacher, after everyone has created it, the teacher is thinking about which one of these is the complimentary rhythm. Do you know what I mean? Well, obviously, absolutely. You know, of course, you know what I mean. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, and we're always doing that, but that's also, I, I think that's some of the fun and some of the you know, you could magic. I, I was, I, I had a, a friend once who, who called it like you teach music using like smoke and mirrors, right? Yeah. Like where it's, you know, where you like the teacher, we know exactly what we're looking for and what's, what's happening, but the, the students on the other side don't often know. And like, that's a perfect example where it's like, okay, I already know from the beginning that I want to choose a student idea, whether, you know, it's for, to add the drone idea idea or an ostinato idea or a simple melodic fragment or something. Um, I know I want to choose that immediately. I'm just listening for, yes, what will work mm-hmm. with my adult, you know, musician brain, not, not necessarily forcing the students into a box, just, just trying to listen to who has come up with something that is going to fit. Yeah. Yes. And, and then incorporating that. And that's such a lovely way to, you know, um, the students get so excited when it's like one of their ideas yep. gets to be a part of our music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I know I do, I have, you know, other things that I want to talk about, but just to camp out here, just one very quick second, because what you're talking about is the level of structure and the level of flexibility 
in the lesson. And it's like, we start with, we want to be flexible and then we build the structure and then we build the flexibility on top of that structure. Right. But it's all, it's all kind of aligned because the other way you could teach that ostinato thing is to say, everyone sit down on your bottoms and look at the rhythm I wrote on the board, read that. Right. And that's the ostinato. You're still doing right. the ostinato, right? So if your goal, if yeah. your, um, if your curricular purpose is part work with a beat and a beat subdivision, and you want students to yeah. do an ostinato, you can get there both ways, but which way do you, which way do you want to spend your time doing? And, and that's where, um, trying to have some intention at the beginning of like, if you're, if, when you're, when you're starting to, and this is, I mean, we're talking about creating a lesson, right? Yep. We're not talking about just taking someone else's and, and trying it out in your class. When you're really ready to create something on your own, setting the intention at the beginning of what is the creative piece going to be? Cause I do think that is a, is a trap we can fall into when we want everything to be a creative experience. And sometimes depending on the age of the child, that can be overwhelming and it can be, it could be too much. You know, um, we talk about the younger, the child, the smaller, the creative box needs to be right. They're making, they're making musical choices, but maybe they're choosing from two things. Yeah. You know, if, if they're a first grader, they're choosing from two things. That's it. Right. And you're giving those two options as they get older, they're making more and more creative choices. The box becomes bigger in, in which that they're being creative, but there still is a box, you know, even middle schoolers. Um, I think, you know, people, people talk about creativity. They talk about, um, improvisation, all of these things. And it's not, and sometimes we as adult musicians think that, oh, well, they're just, you know, they're, they're just pulling something out of thin air. No, of course they're not. We have to give them a structure from within they can be creative. And, and again, and I, I, I believe that it still is being creative and it still is improvising, even if, you know, I'm giving you here are your three choices. You put them together in the order that you want them to. It's still being creative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even if someone says, I will be completely creative and original and compose my own piece, no one, yeah. no one here has invented the pentatone from their mind. No one here has invented duple meter, right? Everyone, everyone is just arranging and is just arranging at right. different levels. Right, exactly. And, and everyone brings their own experiences to the creative process. You know, you, your own experiences of, of what kind of music you listen to, what kind of training you've had, you know, even your cultural perspectives, mm-hmm. all of these things play into, you know, I'm going to write a song. Well, that's going to play into what kind of song you write. Right. Exactly. Great point. Great point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me, let me take us back to what we're here to talk about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, let's talk. Let's zoom back to percussion yeah. stuff because yep. now mm-hmm. you have set a really beautiful context for for some of the steps that hopefully we can talk about because we've talked about um all of all of the different ways that this could live 
in any classroom. And we've talked about something that I think will be important to you, which is this is not a prescriptive list of items to check off. These are, these are steps in a journey. And whether you want to take three steps and then back up, take three steps and then step to the left, right? So I know, I know it will be important to you to, to frame it, not as Alicia gave me a recipe list to do every single step, you know, and like a a scientific method order kind of thing. Um, Yeah. Tell me about as specific as you can make it with the knowledge, with, with a huge caveat that it's open-ended, it will blossom. What are the steps that I need to take? If I have, let's, let's say I have a class of second graders and they have never picked up an instrument. Mm. How do I get Mm -hmm. them to an instrument? Okay. Well, um, I think it's important to, well, so we can talk about two different things, right? Like I, I, the, the sort of lesson plan, the musical steps that you're taking to prepare them to play that instrument. I think that is one thing that will help them be successful, um, is whatever it is that you want them to end up playing on that instrument, you're preparing it you know, often we prepare instrument playing using speech, using body percussion. And that idea of preparing, it means, um, the, the rhythm, the, um, whatever it is you want them to play on the instrument, they've done it a whole bunch of times, um, just with their body. Like I said, whether it's speaking the words, maybe adding body percussion, that's even when you can add body percussion, that's a similar action to the instrument that's also really helpful if it's going to if it's going to be a barred instrument patting the rhythm on their legs practicing alternating hands so that 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 mallet technique then becomes a little more natural or if it's going to be a woodblock clapping the rhythm because that's a similar action to to playing the woodblock that can be really really helpful to make those students successful when they actually get the instrument in their hand and then the other kind of avenue is is just sort of the tone you set. and this is more like classroom management stuff but it's um it's the tone you set about p- around playing instruments you know it's how you present this instrument um how you how you model taking care of it how you model um even even getting it out of the basket or the shelf or whatever it is, um, setting up those routines and those expectations of how we engage with instruments, um, and and again for every teacher that's going to be different. Like it's it's you have to figure out what makes sense for you. But again, for for me, it's always about these are these are musical instruments that we are taking care of and that we are using in an artful way and just trying to set that tone. So if the students are really prepared in both of those avenues before the instrument lands in their hands, everyone is going to have a much um, better experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, I think it it takes practice. And I think for, you know, for, for students who have never had any sort of instrument experience before, start really simply and start really slowly. You know, um, for really young kids, often the first, you know, unpitched percussion instruments, I'm not even asking them to play a rhythm. You know, um, like if we're talking kindergartners, you know, I might choose 
a story. Oh, I love cumulative books for, for stories for this kind of activity, um, where each little character in the story has an instrument sound and they're not even playing a rhythm or anything. They're, they just get their, their one little time to play and then they put it back in the basket or what, you know, it's one of these times where they get to engage with a little, a little bit. Um, but you're not even asking them to play anything, a, a rhythm or anything. It's just, let's make a, what kind of sound? Oh, can it, like, um, I've used the napping house by Aww. Audrey Wood for the, for, for this particular kind of activity because they're all sleeping. And so it's like, can, but then they wake up. And so it's, so it's like, can you make a really quiet sound with the instrument? And then at the end, they get to make a loud sound, which is fun, right? So again, getting, getting them to engage with the instruments in an artful way. And again, and for me, I love using stories to help kids get there. But again, this is part of that setting the tone of how, how we engage with, with the instruments. Okay. This, this is very valuable. You've been saying that you have your musical steps that you're going to prepare. So meaning our first experience with the instruments is actually an experience in our bodies, right? And so that's one. So important. So important. Okay. So you're prepping them, prepping students that way that you've already engaged with the music. Now the next step is to put something in your hands as you continue to engage in the music. That's your first thing that you shared with us. That's very valuable. The other very important thing is that you have a connection to, you can, you can think of it as classroom management, but I also heard you say that you're just setting the tone and it's a tone of like, Ooh, it's wonder and it's respect and it's playfulness. And it's all of these things. So is it, you know, is, is that actually part of the musical steps to prepare? Well, yeah. Is it part of classroom management? For sure. Yeah. You know, but I think it's helpful. I think it's very helpful, Alicia, that you are putting them in two different buckets, right? So I want to highlight that, but then I want to go back to the napping house thing. Tell me, um, because I decided this is again, a hypothetical situation. I heard Alicia talking about the napping house and I love that book. So I got it from the library and I passed out instruments to all of my students. And I said, when you hear the mouse, here's your sound. Okay. And then I I walked them through it. And then I said, okay, let's all put it together. Be quiet until your instrument part comes up. It didn't go well, Alicia. (laughs) Okay. So yes. All right. So there's many, many different ways that you can, and you have to know your students well enough to know where they're at. Okay. So if, if you're talking kindergartners who maybe have never really done this before and they don't have a lot of, um, what, what do I, they don't have a lot of, um, you know, delayed gratification oh, yeah. sort of practice yet. There's not a lot of frontal lobe <laughs> happening yet. So they need some help. Um, now it is, but it also is a skill I want to build in them. Uh-huh. Right. So maybe the first time, and actually usually again, but I'm still preparing the first time we read the story, they just listen to the story. Mm-hmm. This is, this is great. Alicia, give me a template that, that we can change, you know, this is perfect. So, right. So the first time I'm just reading the story to them, there's nothing else happening. The second time I'm reading the story to them and we're making sounds with our voices for each of the characters. Can you tell me? There's no instruments yet. Like, 
What would the cozy bed sound like? Dinners always make. Yeah, that's exactly what they do. That's exactly what they do. They go like they make all these sounds. Oh, awesome. Okay. Oh, the most fun one because the next one is the snoring granny, right? So, and they all make snoring. It's hilarious. So, what is the what is the dozing dog sound? So again, we're reading the story a second time, and but what we're doing though is establishing the pattern, right? There. When I say the character's name, dozing dog, I let space. And that's when the vocal sounds and sometimes, and again, it depends on the students. It depends on their experiences. You know, I might have to, um, I might put a hand up. I might like sort of cut them off or I might just turn the page, like some sort of signal for when they stop. Do you ever go, no, that was wrong. No, 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 no. That wasn't dozing. That was a barking dog or or whatever, right? Like, because it's open-ended. What do you do? Right. Well, uh, sometimes the, with that, I mean, no, there's never like, because there, there isn't a wrong answer to what the dog sounds like that, you know, there isn't. And part of what I want them to get yep. at is that they're sleeping. So sometimes, and it's usually, it, it is often the snoring granny's the one that gets up like a little bit louder and but so we talk about that. We're wait a second. Everyone in the house is sleeping. What should, how should all of these, like, what should these sounds sound like? Are they loud? Are they big sounds? Or are they quiet sounds? Oh, they're quiet sounds. Like the, the students are always able to say that. It's, oh, let's make sure that our sounds, because what happens at the end of the, again, remember, they've already read the book. They know what's happening. So, it's setting, oh, wait, wait, what happens at the end of the, oh, they wake, oh, what are they going to sound like? Oh, that's going to be the loud, okay, great. So again, just getting the students to get there by asking them questions, like always, always, always asking questions rather than telling is going to get your students to a, learn it on their own, but B, it creates that buy. They, they have some say in what's happening. Um, it's not you telling them what to do. You're Nobody not, likes that. <laughs> you're not teaching them how to snore like an old grandma. You are teaching them how to think artistically at a musical prompt. That's so valuable. Okay, I heard yeah. you say that first we're going to read the story. That's our first experience. And then... Again, this is how slow this happens, right? Yes. It's not, oh, I'm going to read this book. Here's a whole bunch of instruments, okay? That you, you skipped, you know, three or four steps to get to the end. And those are the steps. This is why you're here, Alicia. You're going to save us. You're going to save us. This is great. Okay, so first we're going to have this really beautiful experience with my favorite book in the world, The Napping House. And this is what I'm saying. We could read the story, The Napping House, and be like, that's it. That's it for the class. And you go. And you also, do. great. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But then the next time I am being creative, I'm, I have a specific creative prompt that I can kind of like rest in. And that's your box that you were telling us earlier, that when I'm in kindergarten, my choices are not pick an unpitched percussion instrument and accompany this story. Your choices are, what did the dog sound like? Mm -hmm. You know, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now yeah. we've done, go ahead. Oh, again, so once you've done the vocal sounds with it, um, they've sort of had an experience of how to add sound in the middle of the story, because that is, again, a specific skill and experience that if they've never had before, you need to model what that's like, how, you know, how long does the sound go? And again, it's the vocal sounds are also not 
rhythmic. It's just, you know, they're just out of, out of meter, out of time, just, just having, you know, an experience with the sound. Um, but also trying to prep, like, you know, what's the cue to start the sound? Oh, it's when I say the word, when does it stop? Oh, when I turn the page or, you know, and, and really my experience has been that kids pick up on these cues pretty quickly for the most part, you know, they really do. And, and especially if, you know, when they're engaged in the material and they're excited about the next character, you know, they, they want to stop and, and wait and go on to the next one. Yep. So it's not until they've had these experiences, they know this book now, this is not a surprise anymore. We've had the vocal experiences. Um, that's then the next piece is when, okay, oh, let's add some instrument sounds. Okay. Again, depending on your student's experience and ability, maybe, I think there's like, I think it's like seven or eight characters in the book, right? Maybe I choose before class, the seven or eight instruments that I want, I lay them out in front on a, whether it's on a table or on the floor in order. And maybe I, at, I, I, like we, we establish some sort of pattern of like, this student's going to come up and play the cozy bed instrument and then go sit back on, on there, whether it's a spot or a part of the circle, then the second person is going to, as we're reading, you know, is going to come up and play. So maybe you're just facilitating taking turns, right? And, and the taking turns is them coming up to the instrument, playing it when it's their turn and going back. And then the next person does the next person. That's an option. And really, um, each instrument happens so many because it's cumulative, right? That first you're going to get, um, everyone's not going to be able to play everything, but everyone's going to get to play something, you know, even, even if you have 25 kids in the class, um, you know, the, the cozy bed happens eight, nine times. Right. And, um, so you there's enough opportunity in the book for them to all get to play. Um, if you can, like the next step would be to make, if you have more than one of certain instruments having like three or four of the same instrument for each character and actually assigning them to a group and practicing putting your instrument on the floor, you know, hands in your lap. And then when it's your time, it is a skill. And you know what? And for some teachers in some um, schools, they may say, my kindergartners will never be able to do that. Fine. Don't, don't ask them to then <laughs> like, you know, just take it one step at a time. And if, if you don't think that they're ready for that, they may not be try it in first grade, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Meet them where they are. There is no, and I think we've learned that in the last couple of years as well with, with COVID that, that, you know, you have to meet them where they are. I know I've talked to so many teachers that are like my, you know, all of my students seem almost a year younger developmentally than I would expect them to be. Know your kids and do what is right for them. There is no right or wrong answer about where they should be. Meet your students where they are. And honestly, if you don't even think that your students can handle the instruments at all, wait until later in the year, you know, read the story, do the vocal sounds, then put it away. Maybe a few months later, bring it back out and maybe and see if they're ready. You know, especially with young students, they mature so quickly 
within one school year, yep. you know, th- talking about kindergartners, first grade, they, they, they have so much development that happens within one school year that it, it means they might not be ready in September, but they might be in February oh, yeah. or they might, you know, and so try, try again. Yes. Try again. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I love everything about that. The other thing that you're saying with a, you know, a teacher who's like, well, my kids could never have this open-ended thing with instruments. It would be absolute chaos. They would be throwing them at the wall. Well, you have, (laughs) you have written in to this template that you've given us. You have written in checks to see if they're ready. You will, you will have so much information about whether they will be able to use these instruments respectfully because you watched them read the book and then you listen to them snore like a granny. And then you listen to them self-correct when they realized their part in the musical ensemble with that snore. And then you got to kind of facilitate as the conductor of the ensemble, you got to kind of facilitate who was going to model playing instruments for the rest of their musician peers, you know? So it's not, um, I, I heard, uh, Alicia talk about unpitched percussion, but my kids could never do that because they're wild and crazy. It's, it's, you know, I'm going to give them an invitation that's appropriate. And then I give them the next invitation, right? So it's, it's scaffolded all the way. Exactly. Exactly. And again, I think often, you know, we as teachers, we are so, we have such high expectations for both ourselves. I mean, I'm guilty of this too, of ourselves and our students and giving everyone the space to learn and grow. You know, if you try something that you've never tried before and it doesn't go well, it, it doesn't mean you're a bad teacher. It doesn't mean that your students, you know, will never be able to do this. It just maybe means we need to try a different avenue. We need to try, like, re, like can we repackage this yeah. in a different way? Can we, can we take one layer out of it? Can we take one step back and try again? Yeah. Cause it's a process. It's a journey. And, and I think the, the students, if you're really authentic with, you know, your intentions and what you want to be and do with them, they will get to know that and they will learn to trust you and they will learn that, um, just, just to be able to be in the space with you, you know, Mm. they, they will, they will rise to your expectations, but it doesn't happen overnight, unfortunately. It doesn't happen overnight. And so just continuing to make progress, even if it's just really small, incremental. And the nice thing about, again, being I, part of the reason I love my job is that we get to see kids over multiple years. Oh, you know, sure. it's no, nobody just teaches second grade music, right? Where you have them all for one year and then you get a new batch. Like we see them year after year. And it, that's where the power of of laying these foundations and then year after year, you get to see the fruits of your own labor as those students get older and grow. And, and that's really, truly incredible to see, you know, once you've been at one school for, you know, four or five, six years, all of a sudden those kindergartners are now in fourth and fifth grade. And it's like, whoa, look, look what they can do. Look at, you know, how they come to music, even how they walk into the room, right. how they engage with each other, what you're able to ask them to do. Um, it's because you've been working year after year of setting up 
again, not only the expectations and just the, the, the feel of how, for lack of a better word, just how it feels to be in the music room. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they will, they will rise to that and they will come and, and be able to uh, really do amazing things, but it takes time mm-hmm. and patience and just keep moving forward. And that's why you don't want to give us very specific sets of steps to follow prescriptively. Because if you are teaching a fourth grade class that did not have the napping house lesson over time and other experiences like that, those fourth graders, if you, if this is their first experience, you're going to need 13 steps to get them to where another group of fourth graders who have had you since preschool, they can walk in and you can say, we're going to improvise an AB form, get started. I'm going to circle around and see what you've come up with. Absolutely. And that's where, that's where I always hesitate. You know, that's often a question, right? Uh-huh. If, if, you know, um, from teachers, if I, well, what, what grade what is gra- this? If I, if, what grade level would I do this with? The answer is that depends, you know, um, sometimes the, the song, the poem, like just the, the material that you're using is sort of leans one way or the other. Mm -hmm. But as far as the, the musical concepts or skills that you're working on, that depends on your students. You know, um, the first year that I was at a school, I remember teaching the exact same bard instrument pieces to second graders yeah. and fifth graders yep. at the same time. Yep. I used different text to get at the, at the melody. I, you know, we, we, we framed it in a little bit different way so that the older kids would have some buy-in, but that's where they were at. Cause they had never had any of these experiences mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And so it like, that's just what you have to do. You have to figure out, okay, where are they at? And so that's what I'm going to bring to them. And what I might change, like I said, is, is the poem, the words. I might, you know, try to make it a little bit, um, different to pull in some older kids, but I, I might be doing the exact same lesson, um, with wildly different ages just because that's what they need at that moment. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, you, you talk about this in a way that is, uh, very true and very practical. The unhelpful thing about it depends on your situation and meet them where they're at and you have to know your students is like, okay, once I know my students, then what do I do? You know? (laughs) And so that's what, you know, what you're sharing here is so valuable of you read the story first. Like these are, these are the invisible steps that you would take if no one has ever had any experiences, you know? So that's good. Can you talk to me? We've talked about unpitched percussion. We've done some sound exploration. Let me um, ask just very quickly, do you have a a pathway to getting to barred instruments? Mm. Um, Often it, you know, it it can be exactly the same as far as, uh, you know, exploration first. I think that's really important. Um, not only for the way we engage, like I know lots of teachers start with only mallets, right? We're sitting in a circle, all holding our mallets and playing games, you know, doing different things with only the mallets just to get them ready 
to use the mallets with the bard instruments. And when I'm holding the mallets, you're probably going to say, um, I'm going to pass you the mallets and I need you to hold them this way. And this is playing position and this is rest position. And then that's the exploration that we did, right? That's what you mean, right? No, oh. <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, you're doing everything with them, right? Like you might turn them upside down. You might turn them over. You might put them on your head. You might, you can do, but what we're doing, it's playful, but it's also gentle and artful. And maybe, you know, you're stacking them up. You're doing all sorts of different things with them, but it's, it's, Again, it's that setting the tone. It's more of the way you're modeling these actions. Again, it can be really playful, but it's about them being being gentle and artful in just the way you're moving with the mallets mm-hmm. before they ever get to the instruments. So when people say, um, you know, I don't use percussion instruments because it's wild and crazy the whole time and everything is so noisy you are saying well the napping house can't be noisy and you are saying well it can't be noisy if we've done all of this like very gentle like we're in outer space or we're under the ocean with our mallets or we are you know like we are growing something with our mallets you're Mm -hmm. saying that you you set the tone you set the way of thinking that you want from your students. And then when they get the instruments, it's not bang on the instrument as loud as you can because you've already established the context. Right. And, and again, the, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did this with you in level one. The very first experience my kids have with bard instruments is usually um, that their mallets are bugs, right? And lots of different kinds of bugs and their beetles and their butterflies and the same idea Bugs are these little teeny tiny things that are crawling up and down the instruments. There is no bug that I can think of that's going to make a really loud sound landing on a plant. It's just not, right? It's just not. And so again, using this, especially for young children, the idea of the imagination piece, you know, coming into the exploration, I think helps alleviate some of this stuff is because it's very natural for like you said, (laughs) you know, they're like, oh, well, it can't be loud because everyone's asleep. Come on. You know, I, I, I think that really helps them. It's not, it's not me saying don't play loudly because it hurts my ears. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, well, no, everyone's sleeping. We have to be really quiet. That is going to immediately change the both the tone of the class and, and as, as well as just the buy-in for the kids. Yeah. And going back to this idea of what's the musical prep and what's the classroom management piece. And for an artistic teacher with an imaginative brain like Alicia, they are the same thing. They're different categories, but they're the same. They're the exact same thing. That has to be interwoven, you know, I mean, and like, yes, I, and I believe very strongly in the sort of the, the, it can be pacing. It can be the, the process of your lesson mm-hmm. is in and of itself part of the classroom management. Yeah. You know, if, if kids are not behaving in a way that you want them to, you know, sometimes thinking about, okay, am I, are things moving too slowly? Are, you know, is, 
are, are they just not buying into a piece of what I'm bringing to them? Whether, you know, so rethinking, well, maybe I want to change up the text of this poem. Maybe I want to change up the, the storybook. Maybe I want to just figuring out what is it that maybe isn't connecting with them rather than saying, well, my kids will never be able to do this. Right. 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 Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And it positions you as an explorer instead yeah. of the end. Yeah. And I also think it's, you know, it's selling your students short mm. by saying they will never be able to do this. Like if you can change, and I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But if you can change the mindset to how can I create a space and an environment that they can be successful in even something really, really small. How do I do that? Um, rather than just writing it off, right. you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to be written off by, by someone. Um, and I don't want to write off my students either. Mm. You know, it, 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 and it may take a while, especially if you're, if you're a new teacher or if you're even new to a school, I'm doing this right now. You know, I am in the middle of building this relationship with my students where I have to gain their trust. I have to make sure that they feel safe in my classroom. And it doesn't happen right away. Like you have to really take baby steps. And for that reason, I'm not doing a whole lot of like really high risk, high stakes, creative stuff yeah. right now. We're taking it really slowly um, until they have, until we have built that community. And it, it's the same exact thing with first graders or, you know, uh, kids are just small humans with less experience in this world. Mm -hmm. We all want the same thing. We want to feel included. We want to feel safe. And that's, that's what we have to do for our students. That's where we, we have to be able to figure out how do we, how do we make that happen first? Um, in fact, I mean, I often say, like, I think that's more important than anything musical that we do in the room together. We have to create a community that's there and then we will be able to make music together. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes to all of that. That is beautiful. Okay. Alicia, we are uh, wrapping up our time here, but there is a lot more that we could talk about. So if someone is listening and is like intrigued by this topic, where can we go to learn more? Well, first of all, um, go to AOSA.org and you, that is the American Orfschulwerk Association. And on their website, um, there you can find access to your local chapter. So everywhere in the United States, there are so many chapters all over the country. Get plugged into your local chapter. Like I said yesterday, I went to a beautiful workshop um, and they have many of them throughout the year, go and connect with other teachers like that. Again, I talked about creating community in your classroom, find your music teacher community, mm. you know, like, like these local chapters really can be powerful, not only for going to a workshop and seeing, you know, really brilliant, thoughtful teachers teach, but also connecting with people who may be in a similar situation to you or, you know, in a similar teaching teaching position and being able to say, Hey, do you, you know, could, could we email back and forth or could we, you know, spend some time sharing ideas or resources? Um, these 
these chapters will be so beneficial. And again, it's a way to kind of dip your toe in the water as well, going to a workshop to see if this is something that connects with you. And then if it does, I can't recommend virtual work training highly enough. It's, um, taking your level, taking your levels training. It's really a way to, um, just, really get into the meat of this and really start to, like you said, I'm not just taking other people's lessons and trying them out, but learning how to do that for yourself Mm -hmm. and how to create things that are really for your students. Cause that's when it becomes really powerful, Mm -hmm. um, for your kids when you can. And again, we talked about meeting them where they are. That's when you know, that's when you can do that is when you start to gain the skills to figure out how do I plan my own lessons for what my kids really need. So, um, yeah. AOSA chapter Mm -hmm. workshop levels training. Yep. Do you have any books off the top of your head? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, when is yours coming up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a plant. Thank you so much. You, you passed, (laughs) (laughs) but for real. So, um, if you go onto West music and just look under Orschelwerk and under some of the resources, so there are so many, beautiful, wonderful resources out there. And so it depends on what you're looking for. If you're, if you're looking for something to read, to learn more about Orschelwerk, there's a book by Doug Goodkin that's called, um, play, sing and dance. Is that right? I always play, mix sing, up the order dance, of those yes. words. Yeah. Thank you. Um, which is really lovely and, and goes in depth into kind of, um, just Orschelwerk and what it is. Mm-hmm. If you're looking more for, uh, resources, lessons, like, like what I want to open the book and, and try something, find and try something. There are so many, again, browse, you know, browse West music. Um, purposeful pathways is a, is a series that's really lovely. Um, by Beth Ann Hepburn and, uh, Roger Sams, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Um, which is more of a curriculum if that's what you're looking, but again, go there because there are, there are books on, you know, uh, songs from different parts of the world. There's like, there's so many resources. Honestly, I would just, just go and browse and see if something catches your eye and try it out. Cause there really, um, are so many teachers who are putting out just beautiful, beautiful things. Um, and again, it's just open the book, try it out and see, and see how, it, see how it goes. You know, you got to start the journey somewhere and just, just keep moving forward. Mm, you're saying the most important book to, to buy is the one that you will pick up and use. Great. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Alicia, I have some, uh, rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Um, what is the last fun activity you did with your students? Uh, so I have been fun activity. Um, so I have been really trying to, again, I'm in a new position with new students. I've been trying to build community and build just like do a, do something a little bit silly. And so we've been having these challenges at the beginning of class where, where they have to do something, um, often without talking. And it's been things like, you know, lining up in alphabetical order or lining up by their birthday. And then we just did where we're, um, I have a whole bunch of visual cards that have different shapes on them and they have to try to line up in the shape. And it just, it often devolves into like giggles and, and silliness. And it's just, it's really nice. I mean, uh, it's, it's so much fun to just 
again, t- it's not even necessarily that musical. It's, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's more to get them to, you know, engage with each other in, in, and figure out how we can work together for a common goal. Right. Beautiful. And, and we, and we time it, you know, it's, it's just something a little silly and fun to start, to start class off. Perfect. People are going to take that. They're going to run with it. That's great. That's great. Um, what's the next teaching project that you're excited about? So, um, my eighth graders are learning guitar and I am a guitar player and I've, I've been playing the guitar since I, I was in middle school. That's when I started learning it. Um, but I've never taught it before. And you know, I, I think this is my 20th school year and the idea that I am not only just creating new lessons, but I am figuring out how to teach an entire instrument that I've never taught before is both extremely terrifying and really exciting. And also I'm, I'm using my Orschelwerk lens to try to figure out how Mm. can I, you know, not only teach, I don't want this to be a methods class, right? I don't want to teach the guitar like a, you know, like a band instrument. I I want, (laughs) or the way I learned band instruments, right? Uh, I, I really, I want it to be exploratory. I want them to be able to improvise. I want them to do. And so trying all of these things out, um, it's, so, so far, it's it's going well, but we're at the very beginning. So I, I'm really excited to see kind of how this is going to play out. So. Mm. What do you think makes you so good at what you do? Well, there are days that I don't feel like I'm good at what I do. Um, but I think, I think it's that I truly love making music. Mm. And I have since I was a child, I like music is just something that speaks to me in a way that nothing else does. And I think that I, when I'm presenting something to my students, when I'm working with them, I, I think I'm really actually excited about what they do. And Mm -hmm. I think they feel that, you know, I think that comes through and I think sometimes it can be contagious that they get excited about it because I'm so excited about it. Um, and I really truly love my job and I feel really, really lucky that, um, I get to do this and that I do have a job that I feel this way about. You know, it's, it's, I know not everybody does. So I feel really lucky that I get to go and do something really amazing every day. Mm. Great. Love it. Um, Alicia, if people have, uh, if they want to send you an email to say thank you for all of the amazing wisdom and advice and, you know, pathways that you've given us today, do you have a way people can contact you to thank you or to ask you follow up questions? Sure. That would, that would be absolutely lovely. Um, I would love to hear from, from anyone. My email address would probably be the the best way to do that. And that's my name, Alicia Knox, A-L-I-C-I-A-K-N-O-X. The the number's 303 at gmail.com. Is that your birthday? No, actually I used to live in Colorado and that's the area code. It still is the area code. (laughs) I still have a Colorado phone number, but yeah. So I, I, when I made that, uh, email address, it was, uh, um, yeah, it was the area code. So I was like, oh, 303. That's nice. <laughs> so yeah, and anyone listening to Colorado or anyone listening in Colorado, mm-hmm. they would know that. Yeah, yeah Alicia <laughs> is incorporating ABA form into her email address. So <laughs> That's right. That's right. Like a music teacher. All right, Alicia, I, um, I'm 
very, very grateful for your time. I'm very grateful for your enthusiasm for this work. I'm very grateful for all of the, um, all of the heart and all of the energy, um, and all of the magic that you pour into other music teachers and everyone around you. Well, thank you, Victoria. And thank you for having me. This was really, really fun. I mean, I, I love chatting and nerding out about music teaching and <laughs> you have been a great partner to do that with. So thank you.